0: The scripture reading for this morning is from First Peter chapter five. I'll be reading verses one through five. Uh, verses one through four are in your bulletin, but verse five will be on the screen. Please stand for the reading of God's word. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, it's going to be back with you after a couple weeks away. We're returning to our study in First Peter, and it's a passage that as you read it, you may be thinking at first glance, boy, this is mainly for the elders. I hope they're listening. And we are... <laughs> It is certainly for the current elders, um, and it is a call for elders to shepherd faithfully God's flock, to know the sheep, to feed them, to lead them, and protect them under the authority of Jesus Christ, who is the chief shepherd. So it is for those of us who are currently elders, but it's for all of us because it teaches all of us what to expect from pastors and from elders, namely that they be godly men who are faithful to shepherd in Christ's stead. It's also, I pray, a text that is going to be used by God through His Spirit to begin to call some of you men to aspire to the office of elder. Paul in 1st Timothy chapter 3 verse 1 says if anyone aspires to the office of overseer he desires a noble task and my prayer leading into this week and uh, way before this week and will continue to be that that some of you men well I pray that all of you men will be seeking the Lord to discern whether or not he is calling you to the office of elder in this church I don't want you to assume that God could never call a person such as you to this office. God did not look at me or Leon or Kurt or Alex or Carl and say, man, they've got such great potential. He called us. It was a gift of His grace that required the gifting of His Spirit in order to accomplish the task. And so I do pray that some of you men, younger men in particular, will discern that God is calling you to this office, the office of elder. Why? Because this generation and every generation of this church needs godly, faithful men who are appointed by Christ to shepherd His flock in His stead. Before I went to seminary, I was uh, an assistant pastor at a church, non-denominational church. Um, It was before I knew (laughs) better—not because it was non-denominational, but just before I knew better in terms of ordination and seminary training and all that kind of stuff. And I was given an opportunity to serve as an assistant pastor in this non-denominational church, and in a different town, different city, obviously. Um, Four months into the job. The pastor called me and the rest of the staff, it was about a 400-member church, into his office and he said, um, my wife and I are getting a divorce. God is calling us to get this divorce. I expect to remain here as the senior pastor and I need all of you to support me in front of the congregation. And I said, I have questions. He went on later to tell me privately that he was going to offer his resignation to the elders, men whom he had chosen to be elders in the church. That he was going to offer his resignation to the elders, but he expected them to reject his resignation so that he could go before the congregation and say, I tried to resign, but your elders said I should stay. So he offered his resignation. They rejected it. I offered my resignation and surprisingly, they accepted it unanimously, maybe not so surprisingly. That church doesn't exist anymore. There were good people in that church. There was a lot of potential to minister to the community where that church was located. I'd lost touch with some of the people there. I hadn't even thought about it, honestly, until this week. And this morning, I just thought, I'm going to Google that church. And when I Googled it, the little box came up that said, permanently closed. There is no guarantee that every church will exist until Jesus Christ returns. Why do churches fail? Yes, certainly due to doctrinal drift. Why does doctrinal drift occur? It is because shepherds fail to shepherd the flock, either because they themselves are not faithful before Christ to uphold sound doctrine or there just aren't any shepherds in place. Godly, faithful men are needed to shepherd the flock of God in this and every generation. I'm trying to think of how, I, how to describe how I feel about all this. <laughs> and and the, the words I came up with um, are, "I have a hopeful burden." concerning this aspect of our life together as a church. It is a burden that I feel very deeply. Uh, You know, your current group of, of elders and deacons as well, we're not getting any younger. And if there is going to be faithful leadership in this church getting into the next generation, the baton has to be passed in the next few years. So there's a burden that I feel, a real sense that Amongst all the duties God has called me to here at this church, this one is something I'm called to give special attention to, perhaps for the rest of my ministry here. I don't know. But it's a hopeful burden. It's hopeful in part because I see so many young men who it wouldn't surprise me one bit if God were to call them because I see the way in which they love Jesus and love his church and seek to serve him here. So it's a hopeful burden that I hope you will share. There are too few men, I think this is true in Christ's church, it's true in Grace church, too few men who aspire to the office of elder, or deacon for that matter, but we're dealing with the office of elder this morning. And there are too few people who are willing to humble themselves and follow those whom God has appointed to lead in His church. And no church is guaranteed to stick around until Jesus returns. So let's take very seriously what the Apostle Paul is telling us here. And let's together have a hopeful burden that God will raise up the next generation and enable all of us to faithfully follow those whom Christ has appointed to lead in His church. And so we're going to ask and answer three questions this morning from this passage. First, Who are the elders? How are they identified? And then third, what are they called to do? But before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this portion of your word, for the way in which you have preserved it down to this very day. We ask, O God, that you would help us. Help those whom you have called to the office of elder to be faithful shepherds of your flock. Help those who you are calling to be elders to discern that call and give themselves over to preparation and service that we together with them may discern that they are called. And Lord, would you work through this text by your Spirit in all of us that we might know and see and call upon the elders that you have appointed here to be faithful to their task. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so who are the elders? I'm going to give you a, a sentence, a definition, and then I'll break down that sentence as we go along. So simple definition of elders. Elders are men appointed by Christ to lead his church. Elders are men appointed by Christ to lead his church. So let's deal with that first part of that definition that elders are men. Peter doesn't say that here in this passage, but Paul does in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus chapter 1. And we know from Scripture as a whole that that is not due to any kind of innate superiority in men. Genesis 1, chapter chapter, Genesis 1, verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female. He created them. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, Paul tells us that in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ." So this isn't because men are somehow better than women. Nor is it due to any cultural influence. If you go back and look at 1 Timothy, for instance, and read not just the words, but understand the historical context, you cannot point to that historical context and say, well, Paul's addressing that issue. Paul's laying down foundational truths for the church moving forward. You can't also dismiss this as, well, we now know better. We've we've moved beyond this teaching that Paul gave in that day. We now know better. Where do you stop if that's your line of reasoning when it comes to Scripture? Rather, what we see is that this is God's design for his church. It's his design for male and female role relationships between husband and wife in the home and In the church and so the question that that needs to be asked is how is this fair to women and really I think it goes deeper than that it's not just a question of how is this fair to women but how is this not a justice issue women did not get the right to vote in this country until 1920 that was not a matter of fairness that was a matter of justice how is this not a justice issue? Kathy Keller, in her book, Jesus, Justice, and Gender Roles, which I commend to you, tackles that question head on. She herself was once on an ordination track in the PCUSA, Presbyterian Church USA, which is the mainline Presbyterian church from which the PCA uh, split She was on an ordination track, and she became convinced during her training that all the arguments that were being raised against Paul's teaching in 1 Timothy 3 just didn't hold water. And so she left the ordination track. She looked to serve, but did not look to serve as a pastor or an elder. And so her burden in the book is to address that issue of is this a justice issue in the same way that equal pay for equal work is a justice issue. And her answer in the book is that this isn't a justice issue. This is a theological issue. It really boils down to a couple of questions. What did God say and how can we obey it? She says in the book that what she says to women who feel called to ministry, which was something that she felt very acutely. What she says in the book that she says to such women is, God is free to arrange things as best fulfills his design. He is God. She also says that gifts and roles are not the same. And so, yes, women are gifted to teach and women are gifted to lead, and they are called to use those gifts in the ways in which God encourages them to use them within the context of his church. But she would ask, why would you feel it's necessary to have a title or a role in order to function in God's household and use your gifts? She talks about Elizabeth Elliot in her book. Elizabeth Elliot, of course, was a, a, she was a missionary to the Akka tribe that killed her husband. She would go on to write 24 books. She was teaching a class at Gordon Conwell Seminary, a class that was filled with seminarians that Kathy Keller had been attending. And and Elizabeth Elliott said, you know what, guys? On paper, I would make a lot better pastor than pretty much all of you. True. She said, listen, I know multiple languages. I'm able to translate the Bible into multiple languages. I have vast experience teaching it, and I have a maturity that is only formed and born through great suffering. She's talking to a bunch of 22-year-old guys. Right? But she said this, and Kathy Keller quotes this in her book. However, Elliot said, God has not called me as a woman to exercise those gifts in a pastoral role. I am called to use them but why should they only be valuable if used in one particular role, the ordained ministry? Keller, a quote from Keller in the book that I think sums it up well. She says this, Justice, in the end, is whatever God decrees. So whether or not you are able to see justice in divinely created gender roles, depends largely on how much trust you have in God's character. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Can we define justice as something other than God's design using what is our guide? What do we know that he doesn't know? If we are thoroughly convinced of God's wisdom, love, and goodness, then when our desires and God's commands are at odds, We know to put our trust with the infallible rather than our all-too-easily-manipulated desires. So I recommend that book to you, Jesus, Justice, and Gender Roles by Kathy Keller. Our desire here at Grace Church is to be faithful to what the Bible teaches but not go beyond what the Bible teaches so that all, all women and all men who are not called to office because not all men are called to be elders or deacons, will be able to use their gifts according to God's design. So elders are men. Elders are men appointed by Christ. Christ appoints His elders. No elders are self-appointed. Elders aren't even ultimately elected as if the church were a democracy. Jesus is the King of the church. He appoints men to serve as elders. The task of the church is to discern those whom he has appointed. Elders are men appointed by Christ third to lead his church. Emphasis on his. Jesus Christ has all authority everywhere. We know that because Jesus said it. Matthew chapter 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And so Paul can say in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, that Christ is the head of the body, that is the church. How does he continue to exercise his authority? He's still king. He still has all authority in the church. How does he continue to exercise his authority over the church? And the thing that we see throughout the New Testament is that he delegates that authority under his rule, according to his rule, according to his word, to elders. In the book of Acts, Acts chapter 11, elders are already in place in Judea. In Acts chapter 14, you see that Paul and Barnabas, after establishing new churches, appoint elders in those churches. Acts chapter 15, you read the apostles and the elders five times. In Acts chapter 15, at the Jerusalem Council. Acts chapter 20, here's a key verse, Acts chapter 20, Paul says to the Ephesian elders as he's leaving, keep watch over yourselves. So there's a plurality that we need to recognize here. This isn't just one elder in one place. Peter uses the plural here as well. Paul says to the Ephesian elders, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock, a singular flock, of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And so the picture in the Bible, in the New Testament, in Ephesus, in the Roman church, as Peter's writing, the church in the Roman Empire is of a, more than one elder, not just a pastor, but a plurality of elders shepherding a flock. 1 Timothy 3, Paul teaches on elders and deacons. Titus 1, Paul instructs Titus to appoint elders in every town. James chapter 5, James calls on people to call on the elders when they're sick that they may be anointed with oil. And then here in chapter 5, verse 2, shepherd the flock of God exercising oversight. It is Jesus' authority. Elders exercise it on his behalf according to his will as revealed in Scripture. And you're job as church members is to know Scripture, so that whenever an elder comes to you and says, you need to do this, you can hold up the Word of God and like the noble Bereans in the book of Acts who listen to Paul and then searched the Scriptures to make sure what Paul was saying was right, you do the same. You do the same with me as I preach. You do the same with your other elders whenever they are teaching we seek to discern because ultimately we are under, all of us, the authority of Christ as revealed in his word. Elders are men appointed by Christ to lead his church. How are they identified? I want to talk about identification of elders with four, four words, four key ideas. Aspiration, preparation, demonstration, and confirmation. Aspiration, Preparation, demonstration, confirmation. Aspiration. Paul, again, says in 1 Timothy 3, 1, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. We need the Spirit of God to blow on Grace Church such that men will pray to seek to know whether God is calling them to the office of elder. Like just for us to pray that way, we need to be praying that the spirit would blow, that the wind would blow across this congregation such that men would ask, God, are you calling me to this? Should I be aspiring to this? That all of us as a congregation are praying that way. Oh God, raise up faithful men who will shepherd into the next generation until you, our chief shepherd, returns. We don't just need a commitment to that kind of praying. We need to pray that the Spirit of God will help us be committed to that type of praying. So pray for the wind to blow. Pray for the Spirit to come and pray that as he does so, men will discern, even aspire to the office of elder, and that we together will be looking for God to provide such men. And men, let me say this again, don't assume that it couldn't possibly be you. God has a way of using the least expected to accomplish his work. He chose David and not Saul. Saul seemed like the obvious choice. He even says, he stood head and shoulders above the rest. I imagine straight teeth and high cheekbones and a full head of hair as well. Right? He chose David. He chose Jacob, not Esau. He chose Paul, who was a persecutor of the church. He may be calling you. aspiration. Second, preparation. All Christians should be preparing themselves for works of service. There are works of service that God has prepared in advance for us to do. Part of our preparation, all of us as Christians, is building a foundation for lifelong discipleship, for preparing ourselves in every stage to follow Jesus faithfully, to live with Christ as Lord of the heart in all areas of life. Those who would aspire to the office of elder must be doing that and ought to be seeking To do more. So, who are the young men who are seeking out older men in this church? Who are the young men that are not just here on Sunday morning for worship, but are here on Sunday morning before worship for discipleship, who are engaged in a growth group, who are willing to humble themselves before others and grow? aspiration, preparation, third demonstration. If you go back and look at 1 Ch- Timothy chapter 3 and Titus 1, you see that primarily what you see there is a need to discern character. What is the character of the man? Go back and read those passages on your own later. Character as well as competency. There must be demonstrated to us as a congregation a character and a competency that lines up with the office. Aspiration preparation, demonstration, finally confirmation. What does that look like in a PCA church? It looks like nomination, evaluation, and election. I couldn't resist. Had to find words that end with I-O-N. It's a preacher's hazard, I guess. Confirmation. So what happens? Once a year, we have Nominations. People nominate someone to the office of elder or deacon. Again, we ask every time we do this that you go back and reread 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, that you be looking for character and competency that lines up with the office. And then you nominate that member. The elders then evaluate that member. That happens through interviews, that happens through training. Should they choose to move on? And then there is an election by the members. There is a vote. But again, that vote is not, hey, a democracy. And, you know, his campaign slogan was pretty persuasive. It was, I see here that this is someone that God seems to be appointing to this work. And we're each individually going to vote to that end. Either yes, I think God's calling him to this work. Or no, I don't think he is. So... Aspiration, dedication, demonstration, confirmation, via nomination, evaluation, and election. I got one more. I couldn't resist. All this keeps us from acting out of desperation. All right, I'll stop. No more of that. Elders are men of character. I'm filling out the definition a little bit more. Elders are men of character and competency who are appointed by Christ to lead his church. Their calling is confirmed by the members of the church who have had occasion to observe their character and competency up close within the context of the local church community. I want to emphasize for just a minute that idea of context. And community. Peter starts off chapter 5 by saying to the elders among you, as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as partaker of the glory that's going to be revealed, verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. I love the among yous here. There's this picture of a community from which, within which, among whom... There are those whom God has uniquely appointed to serve as shepherds in Christ's stead. So, what are the elders called to do? Four duties, three temptations, one shared response. These are quick. Four duties. What do shepherds do? They're called to know the sheep, feed the sheep, lead the sheep, and protect the sheep. I get that from Tim Whitmer's book called The Shepherd Leader, another one I commend to you. Four duties as shepherds. Know the sheep. Elders must know the sheep personally. You may not know who your shepherding elder is. If you're on my shepherding list, you're going to get an email and then a phone call from me, and you're probably going to express some level of surprise that you haven't heard from me until now. That may or may not be true with some of the other elders here. I don't know. My hunch is they're a lot more faithful than I've been. But elders must know the sheep, know them personally know what's going on in their lives, know how to best pray for them and care for them. Elders must know the sheep. Elders must feed the sheep. And so in addition to that individual encouragement and mentoring, there needs to be elders providing oversight concerning the teaching ministry that's going on here. What's taught here must be approved by the, by the elders, by the session. So that the sheep are being well fed. Know the sheep, feed the sheep, lead the sheep through personal counsel that accords with Scripture. There's no "thus saith the Lord" apart from the Word of God. Again, back to Paul and the Bereans. You listen to what we say and you test it against Scripture. Elders must lead the sheep, and at a congregational level, it means elders are called to make decisions about the direction and the vision of the church. So, know, feed, lead, finally protect. Elders protect the sheep, sometimes from themselves. Sheep tend to stray. Often from false teachers. When we get to 2 Peter, one of the things that we'll see is how much time, space, words Peter devotes to dealing not with the things that are going on outside the church, And by now, Nero is on the throne and bad things are starting to happen. Peter doesn't spend, I can't remember if he spends any time in 2 Peter dealing with that. What he does is spend at least a third of the letter dealing with false teachers within the church. The greatest threat to the church of Jesus Christ in every single generation is never from the outside. It's always from within. And elders are called to protect the sheep. Four duties, three temptations. You see it here in the passage. Verse two, shepherd the flock of God, Peter writes, that is among you, exercising oversight. Here's the first, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. So I'm looking to stoke aspiration in some of you men. I'm not looking to put a guilt trip on you. God doesn't want men in office who have been guilted into it. He wants men in office who are called and who lovingly serve, willingly serve out of love for God and love for his people, not under compulsion, but willingly. How do you know who a willing shepherd may be? You see them doing elder-type stuff without the title, not under compulsion, but willingly, not for shameful gain, Peter says in verse 2, but eagerly. Now there's a risk if you're a paid elder. Pastors are paid elders, generally speaking. There's a risk if you're a paid elder to be doing it for shameful financial gain. But there's a risk for every elder to be serving for shameful gain in the sense of reputation in the eyes of other people, being exalted in the eyes of other people. Having other people feel like they just couldn't progress in their Christian life unless words like honey were dripping from our lips. That's shameful. We're called and said to eagerly serve even when we're not being appreciated. Third, not domineering but exemplary. Look at verse 3. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. What does that example look like? It looks like Jesus, the chief shepherd. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus said, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. What does that look like? John chapter 13, he picked up a basin and a towel and he washed their feet. The heart of sinful elders start looking around for a pedestal. And by the way, every elder is sinful. I'm among your elders as the chief. Every elder in his sin looks for a pedestal. Jesus says, pick up that basin and that towel and start washing some feet. Four duties, three temptations, finally one shared response. Take a look at verse five. Likewise, you who are younger, and that could be younger in age, but it also can very much and probably should be understood as younger in the faith. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Grace Church needs to be just that. Grace Church. A body of believers who have humbled themselves before the Lord and walk and live in humility toward one another. So, who are the elders? How are they identified? What do they do? Elders are men of competency and character, called and confirmed by the congregation as those appointed by Christ to shepherd his church until he returns. Because he is, after all, the chief shepherd, he died for his sheep. And he now calls elders to set aside their preferences and mortify their hunger for power and prestige in order to care for those whom Christ has died. Peter tells us that all elders will give an account when the chief shepherd returns. And that faithful elders will receive a crown that's unperishing it's unfading the crown of the revelation tells us all the elders are going to throw down at the feet of Jesus but a crown nonetheless you know Woodrow Wilson if you don't know your history he was president Woodrow Wilson's mother was asked you know as 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 his mom like what do you take the most pride in concerning him And she didn't say that he was president. She said that he was called to be an elder in his church. To aspire to the office of elders, to aspire to a noble task. Men, especially you younger men, get on your face before the Lord and be asking God, are you calling me to this? Be preparing yourself for that work by giving yourself over to preparation and works of service that others may discern if you are indeed called. And then all of us, all of us, be praying that God will raise up such men for this and the next and the generations to come until Jesus Christ returns. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would help us. We recognize that there is nothing that we can do, no skills that we can develop, no skills from the outside in our leadership positions in the corporate world that we can bring in that will be of any value unless you are calling and appointing men to shepherd your flock. And so would you help those of us who are here? Would you help me and Alex and Leon and Kurt and Carl to faithfully shepherd this flock, your flock, that we are among? And would you raise up men to even now be aspiring to the office and preparing themselves through works of service, and laying a foundation of lifelong discipleship that we together as a church may be able to see and confirm what you are doing. And oh God, would you for the generations to come make Grace Church a vital witness here in this place in large part because you have raised up godly shepherds to tend this flock. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.